everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Mangum Reads. I'm Spencer, and joining me are our usual partners in crime, BJ and Sarah. How y'all doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, I'm hesitant to see your unusual partners in crime, but someday we will meet them. I do not talk about them on a live recording. Sarah, how you doing? I am, I am doing just fine, um, but I am imagining you talking about, well, they're friends of friends, so... I, not, I wouldn't even put them that close, really, you know. <laughs> Distant acquaintances. That, that is, in fact, how people talk about the mob, Spencer. <laughs> Not saying it's the mob. The mob doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, you were really aspersing Italian at this point. <laughs> even suggest that. I, so the only imagining I have for you doing any sort of burgling or anything like that is, uh, you know, old-timey portrayal of where you actually have, like, a sack with dollar signs on it and you sort of do that, like, silly <laughs> prancy walk. And, like, everybody around you is in, in, you know, like, all dressed in black and whatever and, and has, you know, maybe submachine guns or something. And they're just looking at you like, what what are you doing? And where did you get that sack? Uh, throw in a Zorro mask and a black and white uh, full, uh, full sleeve shirt. You got me down perfect. I think you also need suspenders. <laughs> got those. Okay. Totally can wear those. Perfect. And your uh, novelty clock that you wore. <laughs> Oh, God. BJ, I gotta mention this now. Uh, BJ, helpfully upon hearing that my giant novelty stopwatch broke, uh, decided to fix that problem by sending me, like, 12 of them. Uh, BJ, did you intentionally get ones that have a pre-existing alarm that goes off on them at random hours without any prior warning and all set at different times? Um, if that was an option, I 100% would have selected it. But no, this was just a... Uh, Amazon being Amazon has various stopwatches you can buy, and this was like one of the less expensive options. So it was just like I could buy one and spend like double the amount or like a 12 pack and spend, <laughs> I don't know, like 10 bucks or wh whatever it was. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it was just a very funny like either you can get one precision one that's like specific for like swim coaches or you can get the Chinese knockoff and you know who knows how accurate it is well apparently uh, the price you paid did not include a manual in there particularly with the idea of how to turn off an alarm <laughs> and googling necessary information about this with my you know uh, we'll say limited understanding of how technology works was difficult particularly when I would find finally find enough information to turn off one in time for the next one in the line to go off for the next hour I would well, hope you know, that Spencer, they're all could, the same <laughs> you could always um, do the sort of Harry Potter method of dealing with things that make noises when you don't want them to happen and take your bulk socks that people continue to send you <laughs> stuff them in there and then put them in a trunk that is an option. Uh, I was thinking hammers for a certain point there when the ninth one went off and they each one had a different alarm setting on them. Not even always the same kind of alarm either. I was going to ask, do they make the same sound or are they different sounds? Same sound every time, but whether it was a daily alarm, an hourly ah. alarm, a notice alarm to advise you that an alarm has been set. Apparently that needs to be a separate alarm. Sure. All of them went off. So, BJ, I'm fully willing to believe you did that intentionally and hate you, but, you know, we'll go from there. Returning to the topic at hand for tonight. So would you say that there was a random assortment of alarms that you had to deal with? 
quite, as we go on now to Randomize by Andy Weir, the next short story in the Forward Saga that we're going through. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Andy Weir is a both computer programmer and author, famous for The Martian, back in uh, his debut novel back in 2011, and for us on the podcast, his 20, 2009 short story, The Egg, which we quite enjoyed back in the early pre-Sarah era of this podcast. Much as that era is now fading into the mist of preferably forgotten time. <laughs> But before we get into the meat of this story, and I say meat with giant glowing quotation marks, Sarah, <laughs> do you have a couple drink recommendations and maybe a few internet comments about what the world thought of this story? I do sort of on both. Um, although I will say that um, BJ and I did have our actual drink for this episode um, a couple of weeks ago. BJ, do you want to talk about that drink? Uh, sure. Um, so I had found a recipe... Um, for a, uh, I think, randomized cocktail, um, but or the quantum cocktail. I, I'm losing the, the recipe somehow fairly recently, <laughs> and I don't know why that happened. Um, but it was uh, rum, pineapple juice, and it was supposed to be Strega, and we got, uh, like, Gallardo or something, mm-hmm. a similar like slightly lemony herbal um, Italian liqueur and uh, simple syrup and uh, sour mix. And so what entertained me is I sort of did all of those from scratch. I took a pineapple and put it through a fruit processor and strained it and juiced some lemons and limes and all all those fun things. And so as I remember, it was sort of a one-to-one of the rum and uh, strega replacement and then uh, simple syrup and sour mix. And then we put an egg in it because... No, that, that no was we didn't put drink. an egg in that yeah, one. That we didn't put last. an egg in that one. Um, and uh, served that. And, and those were actually I, very good. Yeah, it was quite good. It was interesting because neither of us like rum. No. Um, and so I got... And it called for a light rum, and I just ignored it and got uh, somewhat aged rum. Um, that I quite like compared to pretty much every other rum that I've ever had. So, well, if, if you two had to assign the drink to either an occasion, an event, or an hour, what do you think would be most appropriate for? Just some random Tuesday. <laughs> well, that could be any drink, any time when it comes to us. But <laughs> Sarah, uh, you, you, apparently, you also worked out a second drink too. I did um, because we had kind of pre-done that drink. I wanted something to to have while we were actually on the recording. And so I, as I frequently do when we do these series of things, it takes me a couple of episodes to figure out that there's a thing I can do. Um, So in this, our second episode for the Forward series, I went to the trusty internet and just looked up machine learning cocktails to see if there was a thing that came up, (laughs) Um, which actually sent me down a little bit of a Spencer rabbit hole because apparently there is something um, like in machine learning and AI called the cocktail party problem. Um, so I learned a little bit about that before actually finding a cocktail, but that's also an auditory neuroscience pr- problem, and, it and is. I can talk about that for way too long. <laughs> well, you're better equipped to do it than I am reading headlines from Google. But what I did find is that um, there is someone who has created an um, an AI that creates cocktails and cocktail recipes, I suppose. And so the guy who created it, um, it's somebody named Daniel 
Bohar. I don't know. Kudos to you, I suppose. Um, but he typed in all of the recipes from uh, Death & Co's Modern Classic Cocktails, which has more than 500 cocktail recipes, and then sort of created this algorithm that would then go in and recapitulate and, and determine new cocktail recipes and spit them out. And so the article that I'm reading actually has, I believe, six different recipes, and we have six different stories. Is that right? Oh, cool. So the question um, is, does it also do machine learning to spit out names? It does. And it's very funny because the article, the, well, I guess the, the creator of this AI is like, there are a couple of things that um, the, the AI is not good at. And one of them is making names for the cocktails. <laughs> and they are a little bit bizarre. So I, I will get to my recipe in, in a second. But I am this week drinking something called a Nile turkey. Which, okay. Um, but I thought it was very cool that there is an, we, like, this is very in, this whole project, I think, is very in line with the Forward Collection in a much more sort of, like, gentle way than a lot of these yes. stories are. Um, so for one of these stories, I'm going to have to double up on recipes to get six and six. Although, BJ, are we doing a review episode of all six of the stories? Um, yeah, I think I definitely think we should. Okay, um, then I will do one of these cocktails um, for each of the next episodes that we do. And um, it's interesting because the guy says um, in his description that he went through afterwards and added in um, some, oh, like brand names for liquors and things like that um, to make them a little bit more accessible. Right. But the AI not only spits out like the, the ingredients and the measurements for the cocktails, but also kind of what you're supposed to do with them. And so the cocktail I'm drinking, I would just like to read you. I think that there, there are some quirks with how the instructions actually come out. So it is a Nile turkey. And so the ingredients are an ounce and a half of dry gin. And I actually used Plymouth gin because the internet told me that Plymouth gin is actually dr a drier gin than um, like a London dry gin. Mm -hmm. And then it is, um, so an ounce and a half of that, about three quarters of an ounce of Campari, um, a half an ounce of Sinar syrup, and a couple of dashes of Peixot's bitters. Um, I, and I... <laughs> The the funny part about these instructions actually has to do with the Sinar syrup. I was not going to figure out how to actually make that. So I went and bought a Sinar liqueur and <laughs> just added in a little bit of extra syrup, simple syrup to kind of cut That's it a little bit. But the, the instructions, unclear to me if these are exactly how the AI spit them out or not. Um, but it says, figure out a way to do Sinar syrup. <laughs> it just says, figure it out? <laughs> Parentheses. Mixing Sinar and sugar and heating it, question mark, end parentheses. <laughs> Mix everything in mixing tin and stir with ice. Carefully strain into pre-chilled glasses, no garnish. Okay. Um, I don't know what Sinar is and if those instructions actually make sense in the world. Um, <laughs> the Sinar liqueur is sort of artichoke flavored and, and it's very sort of... Um, it's very sort of herbal and it's got a whole bunch of other stuff in it. But um, anyway, that is, this is the cocktail that I've made for this week. I do have five others that I will, that I will do. Um, and I have to say that this is actually very, 
The name is terrible. The instructions are a little hinky, but the cocktail itself is actually very good. The only thing that I would quibble with with it is the ratios of the Sinar liqueur to the Campari. Um, mm-hmm. I've talked about before that, like, I mean, Campari is like a bitter orange flavor, and right. it, it just overtakes everything. Um, gotcha. So I think if I were doing it again, which I probably will, because now I have a giant bottle of Sinar liqueur, um, I would just probably cut that Campari amount in half, maybe. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to go back quickly and say it was uh, Quantum Theory. Mm. Uh, was the cocktail that we had together, and it was uh, three quarters of an ounce of light rum, half an ounce of Strega, quarter ounce of Grand Marnier, two ounces of pineapple juice, sour mix. And it's take a Collins class, pour the rum, pour the Strega and Grand Marnier, pour the pineapple juice, and top off with sour mix. And it's like, okay, why are you, why, why are you doing this in five separate sentences? <laughs> well, That's how you have to code it. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, between the two, would the quantum theory beat the Nile turkey? Um, in their current iterations, yes, but I would get back to you after cutting the Campari in my drink tonight. I was going to say okay. there is no way a gin cocktail yes. is mm-hmm. going to lose out mm-hmm. to a rum cocktail in its this final is form. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we are still we are still in, in beta testing for this drink, so. Gotcha. Well, in, in the internet's view, did they need a drink to enjoy this story? Um, so I went, I, I try to only do, I'm not actually going to do any outrageous one-star reviews for this because I did go to the internet, but I like, I really only like to do the outrageous one-star reviews for stories that I actually mm, like. So, (laughs) um, doing them for stories that I did not enjoy seems to just pile on the pain. So vindictive. Yes, I I have some comments on kind of general trends that I was seeing in low ratings that we can kind of go through as we talk about it. But um, honestly, I found that none of the reviews were outrageous in my in my opinion. So not so not so fun to read. I'm detecting some initial impressions. So let's just go to those Hmm. so we can see if there's any odd person out when it comes to this particular program we're doing. Uh, BJ, let's start with you. What did you think of this story in, you know, a few words? I think that the math and science were the downfall of this otherwise reasonable story. Um, I think that there is a good short story in there. I think the reader did a reasonably good job in translating the uh, the text into a at least a somewhat digestible uh, audio book. And I think that pretty much any time that you have to have multiple characters explaining the tech in your uh, Mm -hmm. short story, you have violated what a short story is in in no uncertain terms and should have been writing a novel and probably should have reconsidered what you're doing in general. (laughs) Sarah, your thoughts? So as someone who doesn't know or care about the math and science that is going on in this story, I would say that the characters are the downfall, although that might be simply because they are talking about the math and science so much. Um, But this was not a couple of things, and I know we'll get there, but like A, these characters were not believable to me, and B, there were like weird disjointed movements in this story that didn't make any sense. Spencer. Uh, I very much agree with what you both said. What this reminded me more is, uh, do you guys remember certain textbooks back in like, you know, middle middle elementary school, which would have like little stories to help it better explain the topic that you were reading about? Mm-hmm. Um, 
this reminds me of like that of where they want to make quantum computing more digestible so they put it in kind of a story format to explain a couple points and it comes across just as wooden and pointless (laughs) as that this is an interesting enough you know foundational concept to explore and the story goes nowhere interesting with at all so and finds a w- finds a way to make something which already on its face is rather dull even more boring before it's done um i think the best thing that we've read on this podcast to compare it to and this is also uh before this era era bse um was uh the first book in the baba verse where there needed to be explained the concept of a sci- like a scientific theory and it was done and then you kind of just explored the world that was set up and interactions and at least to me I didn't find the I'm going to take this concept to a logical conclusion like I didn't feel like I was beaten over the head with what the technology was and like the nitty gritty of it. Can you um, repeat the name of the story that you're talking about? You cut off on my computer, like right when you were oh, telling yeah. me what you were talking about. It was the first book of the Bobaverse trilogy. I think it was oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. We, we Are Bob, or like I don't remember the exact. Um, but yes, you have to be kind of like a sci fi nerd to enjoy it, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it, it had that, the wooden feeling of that this story does with the concept that is trying to get across the thing was von neumann probes and they're like these weird self-replicating space exploration probes and i think had it been a short story it would have been terrible yeah but instead it provides an interesting enough background and setting without become without sounding more like it's presenting a technological treatise on the subject matter and that and you know just kind of as a general um as a general comment it was interesting to me that for the most part, the stories that we read are, and are reading for this series of episodes, most of them, to my mind, avoided kind of, um, oh, doing, <laughs> doing the, what was that story we read that I hated? Uh, <laughs> we got options. <laughs> there so aren't that I, many I options. I was trying to look it up while, while we were talking. Yes. I knew it was something okay. with elephants. Um most of these stories avoided kind of being that, but the, this story and one other story that we're going to talk about in future episodes really fell into that trap for me, where they are thinly veiled kind of lessons about something um, wrapped in the kind of thin veneer of a short story. So Goofus tries to steal money from a casino, whereas Gallant tries to protect the casino from people stealing from it. No, neither of you? Highlights Magazine? Right not. Only in my dentist's office. Yes. That, I think that was where where I had it mostly, but I think at some point my mom had gotten it for me. So Spencer, like, it, I'm su- super surprised that you never encountered this, but it was this magazine for young children. They usually had, like, uh, short stories and some serial short stories where, like, different issues would have, like, a six-part short story or three-part or whatever. Uh, uh, but they, they also, also had the best stickers I would like to just throw in. <laughs> yes, they had great stickers. They had a couple of other things. And then they have these, like, almost family circus-esque, like, situations where there's one good kid that did the good thing, and then there's one bad kid that did the bad thing. 
Gotcha. Goofus and Gallant. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if my dentist had that, but at that age, I was so wrapped up in my own little imagination that I would just typically zone out in the waiting room and not really need material. <laughs> Which, I guess, is not that much of a surprise when it comes to talking about me. Hmm. Um, but like y'all said, I mean, I think one of the biggest flaws of this story compared to, like, the last one is that there is just no emotional connection in this story at all. Mm-mm. I never got any feeling other than just words on a page. And there are stories that are like that or that are just trying to be, you know, just interesting rather than have any emotional connection with the reader. But this one didn't successfully pull that off because it just came across as just so paint-by-numbers kind of experience of presenting them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a couple of things for me. It's not only the kind of weirdness of trying to explain quantum computing in this format. Um, But it is also, and I know I said this a little bit earlier, but none of these characters are convincing. The whole premise is ridiculous. And I'm a little concerned that before we get to the actual story, there's like a weird prologue that doesn't, while it connects, I suppose, plot-wise with the rest of the story, it actually feels like a different story. Do you mean the initial setup of yes. the little IT guys talking to the owner of the casino? Mm-hmm. Right. Like and They're actually written in different styles, which is very like deeply weird to me. Interesting. I didn't pick that part up because I've mo- like, I have like listened to it and then mm-hmm. skimmed it. So I didn't <laughs> pick up the tone uh, change or, or like the style change. But yeah, I, I honestly think that just the, like that prologue part and a couple of other things like might have been written and then somebody told him this is the worst thing to read ever you need to have an actual story and so he was like i want to keep the first part because you know the nerd gushing over a computer is is so much fun and then created the second half of the story to make it an acceptable story otherwise i guess i don't know see i actually found the first part more convincing than the second part Oh, yeah, because I'm sure the first part, like, we have the author has written himself into the mm. story. <laughs> Former computer programmer Andy Weir said you suggest he might have a bit of an author stand-in involved here. <laughs> uh, this is one case in which the author is very much not dead. <laughs> if only. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's really sort of where it stands. I mean, like, I do agree with you that that part reads more true, mm-hmm. but it's not good. No, it's not. No, you you are absolutely right. And I do not, under any circumstances, mean to suggest that it is. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I would describe the first part as more successful for what it wants to do. The second part, in my mind, just comes across as meandering and anticlimactic. It's like, the first part, okay, you want to introduce quantum commuting to people and talk about how interesting that's going to be. Okay, you did that. It comes across as a guy just talking to me, but sure. And the second part seems like it wants to add a heist narrative that is just not in any way successful or good. Mm-hmm. And so, so this does a really bad job of what all of the short stories in um, iRobot do, I think, better. Um, and Sarah, I, I don't know if you've read those, but I don't, I'm sort of curious how you, you'd feel about them, but I, I have a feeling they're not really up your alley. <laughs> um, so basically every story in iRobot goes through... Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, uh, which are, you know, a uh, robot shall not injure a human or through an action, and in action, uh, allow a human to come to harm. Um, a robot, what's well, two? Uh, 
a robot will follow, follow orders from a human, and maybe that's three. Anyway, so there are these three laws that have been sort of codified in all sci-fi literature, and basically each of them looks at instances where this breaks down, why it breaks down, and sort of the resolution. Mm-hmm. And so we're it here is presenting, here's quantum acu- computing, and here's why it's such a cool thing, here's where it breaks down, and here's the resolution. Uh, just, to, just to say to Matt, a robot may not injure a human or through an action allow him to come to harm. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And a robot must protect its own existence as long as the protection does not conflict with the other two. Mm, thank okay. you. Um, Which anyway. will also come into play in some of the other, so at least one of the other stories that we are going to read. Unfortunately. Yes. So... <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's really what the story felt like. And so in in the first chunk, we get uh, the the rules. And so I, I mm. think that's where, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it more, to my mind, what the purpose of this was. We got the rules of the mystery and the rules of the game that we're playing, which are, you know, quantum computing's really good at breaking... Uh, information and the way that it does that is um, how it tests uh, basically for solutions to mathematical problems and it generates truly random information via this set manner Um, and you know we get this set up with this super excited computer programmer that shut down a kino lounge in a casino and uh, a very bored presumably older gentleman that likes uh, having lots of money, basically bored and distrustful uh, of this young programmer. They sort of go back and forth on what quantum computing is and why it's a problem for the Kino Lounge, and the casino owner sort of says, okay, fine, whatever, just take care of it. Yeah. Um, And it was a little bit more boring to read than that. That's one of the few things I appreciate about, um, I guess, the intro and maybe even just the owner character is that he is a bit non-tropey, or at least he didn't go the past that would have come across as more tropey, mm-hmm. in the sense that he does listen to his IT programmer and doesn't necessarily even do it flippantly. It's like he honestly hears him out and agrees, okay, that makes financial sense, and I'm, you know, I, you, I've hired you to trust you with this kind of technical expertise, so sure, do it. Which I was almost expecting him to just do the kind of stuck-in-the-mud, resistant to technology, doesn't want to understand kind of character, and just brush his hands, and then the pre- then the problem happens, didn't listen to the advice. Read that story a lot of times. So that was at least a vague enough difference that I thought it had hopes for where the story might go, but that's almost the only plot point I found interesting, other than at the end, the uh, our hacker, as it were, is, is ultimately defeated not by... Um, any complex understanding of the new technology but by basic investigation techniques yeah um so what i think is very funny is and i've i wonder if we'll do this a little bit more as the story goes on but very often when we like stories we find flaws in them and how we could improve them whereas here we're looking for like the the few saving graces (laughs) that it might have (laughs) in comparison to what happens other times well just let's do a recap just quickly, it mm-hmm. won't take long. Um, we can probably tease out a few more bits we like or don't like as we go through that. But BJ, like you said, our initial setup is that apparently this is one of the few independently owned Vegas casinos. As far as I know, they're pretty much all owned by major corporations now. 
Um, and the little IT guy has apparently, of his own initiative, shut down the Kino machine that makes the casino hundreds of thousands of dollars a day because he has technical concerns based on the new quantum computers that have entered onto the market. Uh, and then basically he gets the go-ahead to buy the quantum computer and he we spend a couple paragraphs hearing about all of the cool bells and whistles associated with the quantum computer and him setting it up. And I... Sorry, go ahead. With the basic underlying premise for why they need a quantum computer, it's that random number generators aren't truly random. And that with quantum computing, they could potentially hack the quote-unquote random numbers that are generating the uh, Kino results uh, and cost the casino a fortune in money. So with a quantum computer, though, they can make it truly impossible to break random in a way that would be useful now the technology is getting onto the market. Which also doesn't make a lot of sense, because I'm pretty sure like there are accepted ways to make numbers truly random and quantum computing is not at least currently one of the two <laughs> standards no, the more interesting use of quantum computing is ultimately how the hacking is done rather than i think the original purpose behind buying it i almost wonder if he was just trying to make up a story so he can get a new computer <laughs> yeah um i'm i'm almost positive andy weir put together a computer that looks like this one for this story just to make the it real um well, the computer is installed by a tech company that's putting them on the market. And the most obvious suspect possible for may eventually hack the technology is their present for it, the guy who installs it for the, for the company. Yep. Uh, he, they talk briefly about it. They do some dialogue, which I'm sure in retrospect the programmer realizes is much, is much more insidious than he originally thought it was, just distracted by the cool computer. And then we cut to our second half of the story, which is said tech installation guy or salesman, really talking with his wife who is the super genius of all super geniuses to come out of india and has but is also a stay-at-home wife and uh is making her husband a bunch Uh of nice curries Mm -hmm. which it did make me really want indian food after reading through this section sure i've had india i haven't had indian food since the pandemic started i have a uh, lamb recommendation for you (laughs) i need Indian food, which is in all places around here were at least previously uh, buffets. Um, mm. and I don't want to go to one of them right now, and I'm not sure if they, they, I can order out or deliver. Well, something to figure out off pod. Um, <laughs> um, but as said, uh, she, rather than he, has a plan to use their own quantum computer based on the fact they basically connected them together so that she can use the process of quantum computing to know in advance what the uh, Kino numbers are so that she can go for the big jackpot a few days down the line. Mm-hmm. And she does. And it works. Kind of. And then she gets escorted up to the casino owner's office. And... To talk to the insurance person. Yeah, the IRS person. Yes, the, the IRS, IRS person. That's, that's right. right. And faking being a really stereotypical visiting from India person. Um... And she pretty quickly realizes that now when she meets the casino owner that we briefly had in the first chapter, that he is on to her for reasons not at all associated with her brilliance or technology, but on the fact that she's just not a good crook. But... She, she apparently forgot to dust the device for her fingerprints. And and it is it is a little bit based on her, like, genius and the technology, because, like, a very quick background check suggests that, like... She might be the type of person who could game the system. Which was yep. the dumbest thing part of this. Her husband yes. even points out that shouldn't we have like a third party do this? Like, oh no, we couldn't trust them. And I'm just looking at the book saying, 
they could Google you. The first person they're going to check on this is your husband. Mm-hmm. They have his name. They have his business card. They're going to go into his associates in a heartbeat because he's been the most likely person responsible for this. Mm-hmm. But apparently she's a very specialized kind of intelligence and didn't think of the various ways that this could go wrong. Like, you know, forgetting to wear gloves. Um, but so it goes wrong. He, the casino owner, calls the police. They're about to show up, and she's got, like, 90 seconds to convince him that she has a better option available than just simply having her arrested. And I find her plan and the fact he accepts it. Because <laughs> her plan is essentially fund me in mass-producing similar devices so we can get every other casino in the world using them to have their own random number generators, and then I'll code it in so that they all fail at the same time except your casino. And, you know, I'll po- we'll pocket the money and run, but you'll be the only casino that's working for, like, days before they fix them. Because that's not suspicious at all. Yeah, it's just like, I was really hoping there at the last minute that he would just say, that is a really dumb idea. <laughs> you are the police now. <laughs> I feel like that change actually would have made this a not terrible story for me. If they continued the idea of him not being tropey, if it was like a novel, an actual human way of responding mm-hmm. to that kind of dribble that she just presented. But no, he accepts it out of what the story seems to describe as just sheer ego. It's from a logical standpoint. If you're the only casino in the world that doesn't fail at the exact same time, aren't people going to have questions? No, they're never going to have questions. Why would they have questions about something so obvious? And the explanation that, oh, no, I just didn't adapt to the new technology that everybody else did, like, that's going to fly long. Because they, again, check to see that the guy that installed your computer that you got before anybody else's is the same guy that built the technology that now shut down every other company in the world. And the his wife is the person that got paid out a large Kino payout um, because those things are reported. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I found that an infuriating note to end an already insufferable story. <laughs> but you got us through the recap, Spencer. So I'm here to I'm here to suffer for you. Bless. Um, okay, I've discussed a couple things I found tolerable about the story. Uh, what are some other things that y'all found halfway digestible? Um, I I was initially amused by the casino owner saying, I don't trust people that don't like a good drink and talking about how to make a drink correctly. Um, And then it got tedious, but I did like it at first. I did vaguely enjoy that it got referenced again at the end of the story, but Mm -hmm. I just wasn't invested enough to care about that little (laughs) literary technique. Yeah. Um, Is that it? Is that what you've gotten? (laughs) I don't know. Like, just the i semi appreciate that like it was his wife that actually did the heist Mm -hmm. um but just all of that was unpleasantly written and yes just all, all of it was like unpleasant i think the the best part of the story for me was the reader did a really good job of capturing the different characters yeah the the reader did do a did do a good job i Similar to UBJ, I was so uncomfortable reading the setup of figuring out that the wife is really the like genius in the family. Like, I, it was so stilted and yeah. awkward, and there, like a bad superhero origin story. Like, it was just oh, yeah. weird. So, there's it, what comes to mind is a West Wing episode 
where uh, Toby is talking to the president about like his reelection and is basically like, you're a good father. You don't have to act like it. You, you know, you're this. You don't have to act like it. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. if she's a genius and she's all of yeah. these things, you can just have her do those things. You don't need to tell the reader like that she did all of these things and scored so well in India and, and you know, has an insanely high IQ. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just have her be the brains of the operation. But somehow, like, in the structure of this story, as it was set up, there was no opportunity for that. So it had to be told. It's part of the problem you guys talked about is that this story has such an abrupt shift in what its focus is going to be midway through it that there's just not enough time to tell really an effective either first story or second story. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I think it could have been told relatively effectively if the husband was was like, okay, I think I have it, but can you go over like this part again or something? Like, I didn't understand this. And mm-hmm. she like patiently explains a part or two. And then oh, you have get... it be done in dialogue. Right. R- rather than have it be done in three or four different ways with the story taking explicit yeah. pains to talk about how she's so much smarter than him, but he was the closest on the intelligent level that, they could, that her family could find for an arranged marriage. Hmm. Yeah. But I will say that I think that you are probably right, BJ, if this were an entirely different story by an entirely different author, but their relationship is so poorly written anyway. Yeah. and I, I don't think... trust that to dialogue between the two of them. Oh, yeah. And, like, this is, like, written halfway, like, in the, you know, 70s and halfway in, like, a little, like, five, ten years from now. It does feel like a 70s sort of casino that they're dealing with. And to go back to your question, Spencer, about, like, what did you actually like about this story? Mm -hmm. I do like a heist story. Mm -hmm. Just not this one? Yeah. I, I think that there are ways to have done like this the, story the, as a I like the general genre in which this story was functioning. Um, speaking of which, have you read The Lies of Locker Lamora? I have, yes. Okay, good. Because that, that, you that's have as the, well, right? Hmm? Spencer has too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was the one that sent it to life. I thought so, yeah. Okay, so so yeah, that like that that's the heist story that, that, bring, that is brought to mind when I think about heist stories that I've read recently that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if you're looking for a good heist story, not in the reading format, I just rewatched uh, The Sting with uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. That's a great heist story. You can see just how much more modern heist stories like oh, Ocean's yeah. Eleven just lifted everything from it. Mm-hmm. Straight from there, yes. Um, so, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think that there are authors that sort of have this background and, and write in this genre that do well and I think that sometimes it falls flat. And so I'm sort of curious to read The Martian because it's supposed to be good hard sci-fi. And I'm just sort of wondering if that's sort of what he got comfortable with and what is he's known for. And so he tries to work it in everywhere. Which is interesting because the egg distinctly isn't. Yeah. The egg is anything but hard sci-fi. It has nothing to do with the concept of hard, of hard sci-fi. It is delightful, fantastic realism. Um, and well, it's just straight up fantasy, actually. Yeah. And it's great. It's emotional. It's interesting. It's really fun concept of humanity and, and how it works together. Uh, I almost feel like for this one that he was almost cursed by the prompt of where, you know, he was given, hey, we'd love you to work on this. The prompt is something about, something with affecting, like, a news change of technology in the future. Like, the story set just a little bit in the future with a new technology affecting how things work. 
Yeah. And he thought about it with, oh, well, quantum computing's interesting. I'll write something about that. So what you're saying, he's a Ravenclaw and follows all the rules and it was his downfall. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> As we've seen, the ones that maybe were a little bit more flexible with the rules worked out better when it came to this one. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I think that's something that we'll need to talk about sort of to- towards the end of how well the prompt was followed and how was the story that was produced. Yeah. Um, and I also am sort of curious when Blake Crouch um, got these stories back, it's like you get, he's gotten like some r- very famous authors. Um, like, do you just say, okay, awesome? Or I, is like, there I a little this bit- This feels, in all honesty, this feels a little bit like a you know, an academic book that you've like put out a call for paper for papers for chapters mm-hmm. around some general theme. And like, you really have no control over what comes back to you at that point, but you have to accept whatever comes back. Yeah. You can't really that return was it the, for revisions. Yeah, that was the like, the um, guidelines for publication. Like, right. this is what you have. Um, you can't say no when there's so many pages, so many pages you have to fill to get the thing done. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you do some basic edits and you hope that everyone else just reads around it. Um, um, and I, Spencer, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, BJ. I was going to say, I also wonder if like he read all six stories and then kind of went, oh shit, they didn't quite listen to the prompt, but it's so much better. All right, well, it's fine. <laughs> We can't split them up now, and I can't like ask like the people that followed the prompt to not follow the prompt. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so you're gonna ask Spencer something. Oh no, Spencer! I was just going to ask you what is there anything that you liked about this story? I said I actually liked the character of the casino owner until the end, mm-hmm. just because he came across as just interestingly different than I was expecting. And quantum computing is an interesting enough concept, and what effect it's going to have on technology. It's just there would have been so many more interesting ways of doing this. Like, BJ, I, I like the, your reference to the Bobiverse. Uh, the first book, we are, I think it's We Are Legion, We Are Bob, I think is the name mm-hmm. of it. Yes. About that takes, that takes simulate some very interesting ideas about where technology may have been going and builds a wonderful story around them. But maybe you just need time to do that. I don't know if the story would have been better if it had been longer. I think you would just, there's a lot about the story that would have been, have been fundamentally rewritten. But if you wanted to work quantum computing in a way to a story to make the story around it also interesting, this was not the way to do that. And maybe a more involved, complete narrative where you have time to actually flesh out characters around this rather esoteric con- uh, concept would have been a better way to do it. Yeah, I actually, so I while we have been talking, I have done a sort of like reverse of my outrageous one-star reviews to look at five-star reviews to see if I could figure out what people liked about this story. Um, uh-huh. Because it has been rated nearly 500 times, and it has a solid, like, four rating on Amazon. Hmm. Um, and most of the reviews are not particularly helpful in, in kind of teasing out what people liked about it. But there are a surprising number of reviews, to my mind, that are that say something along the lines of I really love this story I wish it were longer I wish it were a novel I wish is there like some sort of extension for this that's coming out and so I wonder that makes me think that people are like not unlike we do with other stories sometimes (laughs) reading this and saying what if it were something else (laughs) right well I would say that there was a story a short story that we didn't ask about that and we got it anyway, and apparently it was reasonable, which was cat pictures, please. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is true. Yes, and it was reasonable. 
So. Although it wasn't so much an extension of it as like a, an entirely different story, like vaguely connected to it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Which is honestly what, what I would to need happen. to happen here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we've now talked about the story for about three times longer than it took to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have anything else to add or should we present what short story we're doing next in the forward collection? I have nothing else to say about this story, Spencer. <laughs> Has Andy Weir written other short stories? Or, like, did he just go on to novels and, like, never look back? Uh, he's got actually a few short stories. He did a collection, uh, The Principles of Uncertainty, 2016. Oh, of course he would name it that. And then uh, several other words. Board World, uh, Warrior, Warrior with a T in front of it, uh... Rats, yeah, he's done quite a few short stories, it looks like. Interesting. I will As... say, all everything you're saying about the titles of these short stories in their collections, none of them recommend themselves to me. <laughs> well, give the egg a try after this, and you'll see how utterly different it is from this story, whether you mm-hmm. find it successful or not, matter of opinion, but it's definitely different. Um, but moving on to the next, uh, who, who was it to decide what short story we're doing after this? Sarah. Um, We decided together, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, no, it was the... um, Hold on, let me look at my list. We have seven options, right? What? No. What do you mean we have seven options? We have six stories. We've done two. We have stories in the entire I mean, so technically... Four that we haven't read. Six combinations, possibly, but we have the last one chosen. Anyway. So uh, we're reading You Have Arrived at Your Destination next, right? Yeah. Um, Okay. So I don't remember who that's by, that is by Amor, uh, sorry, Amor Tolls, who wrote um, the book that everyone got for Christmas a couple of years ago, The Gentleman from Moscow. I got that for Christmas a couple of years ago. I <laughs> bought it for my mother, and my mother bought it for me. I, I never read it, though. It's in that vast collection of uh, books I get for Christmas that I'm going to read someday. <laughs> so I read half of it and really liked it and then stopped, and now I don't know where it is. So I don't know what to do about that situation. <laughs> if if be- you like my copy, I know where it is. <laughs> I believe that the audiobook was supposed to be really, really good. Oh, really? Um, but you know I, will, I will check back with my other um, book source, my mother. <laughs> who did the audiobook for this one? Yeah, I would be interested in that. So uh, we'll have to check that out. It's by David Harper from Stranger Things. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, as always, it's been fun. As when it, it's sometimes more fun when at least one person likes it. But it is fun <laughs> trashing a book with with uh, people you like too. I'm perfectly happy to do that. <laughs> if there was a way that I could not have to read the thing before we do it, that would be great. <laughs> okay, but at least it's a short story. At least it wasn't a novel. And this was a particularly short, short story. Yes. I think this is, was this the shortest one we read? Um, I think this might be the shortest of the collection. Yeah, I think so. Next, Thank God. Next one, is twi- next one is twice as long. Yeah. Uh, as you said, though, the story, I will hopefully forget about it in a few minutes, but talking <laughs> with you guys, that was a pleasure. Um, and if you want to look at some of our other much better short stories, um, you can find all of our content on mangumtops.com. Um, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a Facebook page, uh, Mangum Reads, and um, you can submit comments, uh, suggestions, or questions there and or our website, mangumtalks.com, and click Contact Us, and I'm going to say the upper right-hand corner. I don't know if it is. Um, And you can also check out our uh, podcast within a podcast, Pottering Around, where in the near future we're going to start Sarah's favorite of the series, book four mm-hmm. um which is something the goblet of fire 
<laughs> I have it borrowed from the library. I don't need to remember the title. Um, yeah, Can sponsor. I put in a, a, a quick plug? If you would like to um, hear a recent episode of one of the other Mangum Talks podcasts that talks about a, a heist that is much better than this, The Mandalorian has come back on Mangum Talks TV. And the latest episode is, in fact, a heist episode. And it is 150,000% more successful than this story. Because it, it wants to be a heist, and that's all it wants to be. Mm-hmm. It, it is focused on being successful in its chosen genre, and it doesn't aspire to do anything other than that. And that's, as we've discussed, that's how you make a successful short story. Indeed. Focus. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's lovely to have uh, some some other stuff back on our podcast channel. And... Uh, yeah, you should listen to all of it because it's entertaining. Until right, the next time, I'm looking forward to it through the Forward Collection, and, you know, I have not read any of these advance like the way you guys have, so I'm fingers crossed hoping that we get a better one this time around. It's very clear that you haven't, Spencer, and thank you for that. <laughs> I, 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 I am here to offer my ignorance for entertainment value. Alright, yeah. until next time. Have a good one. Oh, shit.